back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today we are going to be talking all about moving locations with the wonderful host of Detentions and Dragons. But before we do that, we have a couple of iTunes reviews. The first one comes from Smeed79, entitled 202020. I am a longtime DM, but very new to podcasting. I was looking for a podcast that was D&D related and relatable to me and my playgroups that I could listen to at work. Thanks to DMB and DMnastics for giving me exactly what I wanted out of a podcast. It took me longer to download iTunes and leave you great DMs a review than it did for me to listen to all the great content. And again, thanks for thanks from DM Red. Also, if you're a Patreon dragon of silver or up, you can head on over to Patreon where you can vote on our world building series and you can vote between empires, purgatory or wildlife. And if you're a gold dragon and up, you can head on over and find how I gave stats for 5e for Danny the Street. If you're confused, just listen to the episode to learn more about Danny the Street. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> Why can't we have some meat? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. Today for the meat, we have some wonderful returning guests, Joshua Reistead and Matthew Keel. Why do it? Why do I write your whole name? That's that's terrible. It felt wrong. But they're the hosts of Detentions and Dragons. Guys, welcome back. Thank you very much, Neil. Glad to be back. Neil, it's always great to be back on the podcast. That is sort of the the hallmark of the Block Party Podcast Network and the podcast that one day I will usurp and make my own. He he's been making plans, Neil. He's been he's literally chalkboard, red string, you know, plotting, plotting usurpation. I'm okay with that. I'm I I would be okay with it. Speaking of things that I'm okay with, we're gonna jump straight in because if you don't know who Detentions and Dragons is by now, what are you doing? Go, go listen. And when you're done listening to that, come back and get ready for our surprise question. Are you guys ready? We're ready. We're okay. ready. Okay. If there is one thing you could, this is a weird word, but follow me, disinvent in D&D, what would it be? <laughs> Josh already knows my answer. Uh, I have a feeling I do, so I'm going to not copy it if I can. Specifically an item or a mechanic? Yes. Okay, lucky. I would I would get rid of lucky. It is uh, the, like half the lucky feet. The lucky feet, like halfling, the halfling lucky, perfectly fine. Yo, I, I'm okay with that one. But like, when players take the lucky feet, I've I've said it before. Oh, I don't like it. Okay. Well, I think you just have this abuse where, for example, if you allow five of the player characters to each have. The lucky feet. There's that, that, but even just one, I just find it to be. It's like I could understand polearm master. I could understand sharpshooter. There, there are things that you work on, but just giving somebody the feet. Guess what? You're just lucky. You, you did something that the fates just happened to smile upon you. Is just kind of like I, I don't like it. I I would having advantage three times a day is pretty. 
pretty powerful. Okay, I'm oh, going yeah. to go cross that out of all of my books. Done. No one can have it at my table. No, nobody can have it. No. Matt, what would you disinvent from D&D? Mm, I think the hide action, specifically when it relates to trying to hide in combat, is one of the worst mechanisms slash confusing mechanisms of the game. Yeah, I knew he was going to go with that one. I just don't feel that if somebody is looking at you, you can attempt to hide. And you shouldn't be attempting to hide, and your DM shouldn't allow it, but too many DMs do. So I would say you cannot hide as in to remove yourself from combat, but you could like dip down behind a box or something to give you some type of coverage advantage. I'm down with that, but just disappearing and the orcs being confused like, where'd he go? And then in the same term, you pop up like behind them and hit them in the head. It's dumb. Like a okay. deadly jack-in-the-box. Done. I accept. Um, I have no idea what my answer would be, but I don't have to answer it because I'm running the show here. So we're going to jump straight in. Thank you, Neil, for coming up with that answer because I couldn't find another one. So good job, Neil. That's me. Are you guys ready to talk about world building moving locations? Yeah. Indefinitely. No. Indeed. Okay. Indubitably? Yes. Indubitably. Indubitably. Okay. We had all kind of discussed bef beforehand a little bit that moving locations, talking about it initially seems like, oh, wow, that's such a, like a niche topic. But the more I thought about it and the more we talked about it, it was just, oh, no, it's used here. It's used in this book. It's used in this game. It's used in, okay, I think we're good. One of the questions I wanted to throw out is what... What aspects of moving locations make it unique, and why do we think DMs should implement these into their homebrew games and worlds? Just starting off, I was uh, I was creating a kind of a list of like positives and you know pros and cons of that, and like the, my top three would be like one, if it's if it's a, a like a moving city or a a, mar a large moving area, uh, you kind of have the mechanic, the built-in mechanic that you can take the setting and move it to a new exotic place, uh, a new location, things like that. But you generally have the same NPC like build around that that you base your your whole game. So it's not like you're creating 45 new NPCs every time you go to a spot or a location, you know? It's like here's the town of I don't know, Daggerford and it has a, a transportation spell and now we're going to the east coast. And you still have the same shopkeepers and the same townspeople, and you don't have to reinvent all that. So one of them, one of those things is it's just convenient. It's it's really a convenient kind of tactic. My second one is it's just cool. the The idea of being able to take a city and just you know poof you know you're 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 moving one area where you're moving another. This whole kind of you know premise of that. Is just a, again a niche kind of topic, but uh, think it's a, a big story hook. The third, it, it mechanics behind the movement can have a lot of story hooks in it, such as like something goes wrong, you need an element to cause this to move. There might be something coming for your town, and you need to move it. There's a lot of you know material there that you can work with. So I, I think that's generally why, you know, we see it so often in, you know, sci-fi and high fantasy, this this idea of a location moving is because there is a lot of material to work with in these three ideals. 
So, Neil, I'm going to get real with both you and Josh. And okay. Just to show you how real I'm getting, I'm flipping around my chair. I'm sitting on it backwards. Okay. Oh, this is this is his real pose. This is my real pose. This is 90s public service announcement. Yes. Neil, let me ask you a question. Why do you play Dungeons and Dragons? The answer is to have fun. To have fun. But you could do fun things... Anywhere you can go outside, you can take an old racquetball and throw it at a wall like you're some type of, I don't know, kid in the 1970s. Yes, you could be playing a video game, which is an overload of like dopamine and constant like participation and feedback. But DD, I think one of the funnest elements is the world that you are introduced into. And when you're introduced into this, amazing fantasy world you want it to be amazing it's called dungeons and dragons it's not called like dungeons and dan like oh yeah there's dan in the dungeon he's just a guy hanging out in the dungeon maybe punch him in the face no you want high fantasy so the inclusion of things like wizards the inclusion of your werewolves and your vampires all of those add to this element of fantasy and i think one thing that you can't argue with unless you're a jerk is that a big old moving city whether it is transported on the back of an animal or flying via some sort of magical propulsion device that is intriguing it's magical it adds this degree of like question and mystery and it helps to build this high sense of fantasy within your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So I'm all about adding in these moving cities because it's a kind of a trope, but it is a great way to just add this intrigue into your campaign. I agree. And I think, Josh, going back to what you said, one of the biggest pieces, I don't know if I had thought of it until you said it, but the how and the why it moves is in a way more important than the what. Because some some pop culture references, if you watch Doom Patrol, there is Danny the Street. It is a sentient street that just teleports seamlessly to wherever it feels like. And the characters in the show interact with the street time and time again. And that would be a really interesting way for your players to just stumble into a street that they know and like interacts directly with it. So Hold and- on. Hold on, is so this is from Doom Patrol? Yes. Now, is it just the ground or is it also the buildings on the street? It is also the buildings and basically using signage and other methods, the street can communicate back and forth with the characters in the show. Now that that is a cool that is a cool little mechanic there. That I like that. That's crazy. No, that's too much high fantasy. I'm done. Neil, (laughs) that's crazy. Okay, I went over that. That has a level, and all of a sudden, this this is the line. Okay. You told us this was going to be about flying cities and stuff, and maybe something on the back of a turtle. And now you're saying that it's a teleporting city that talks to you via via signage? Oh, no. That's too creative. I'm done. No, no, no. Peace out. It's just a single street. That's why it's okay. Oh, okay. It's just one street. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's not broken. Okay. No, it's fine. (laughs) Aha. Okay, I'm uh, back. Okay. But I don't quite know where to go after I have revealed to you, Danny. Now, so some other things that I like about the moving city. 
Mm, to kind of piggyback off of your crazy example of Doom Patrol, I think any time that you have a way to just add something that is really unique and interesting to your world is pretty cool. Because the idea that people move from location to location, like that's not necessarily you know, new, you know, people move from one city to one city for jobs or for love or for family. We have whole cultures that have a, like an, like an aspect of migration. Maybe they migrate to different areas, like during, you know, different seasons and that type of thing. But the move, like the moving city kind of, or the moving location, such as the street or the city is going to take that whole concept and just add that extra like degree to it. So I don't know. I'm all about adding the moving locations into any D&D campaign. Done. Uh, so what are kind of some of the things to watch out for when introducing a moving location to your game? Yes. So number one, I would say you want to avoid kind of like a deus machina type of thing. Like you don't want it to just magically transport at a whim. There has to be some sort of, I think, like difficulty with it it has to for example maybe the moving location is very very slow maybe you cannot predict the location of this moving location maybe it's sentient and it has its uh, its own uh, agency deciding where it's going to be transported to i think if you are playing a campaign and you introduce your player characters to maybe like a moving castle or a moving maybe it's just a moving tavern that would be fun and it could just transport anywhere they want and the players have control over that then i think that's a potential abuse of a kind of a narrative element that is within your D campaign so i would just say make sure that you're very deliberate with how your moving city works that doesn't mean you have to know like the whole physics or the magic behind it because again D&D, it's magic you don't have to have a full explanation but i would say that make it so that it's still narratively makes sense within the construct of the game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Just to add on to Matt, I, I totally agree as far as the deus machina and the, and the narrative. Uh, anything, anytime I do a, a city that moves or a location that moves, um, another thing to think about is how, how does it do it? It shouldn't just be a, okay, we make the castle move. There should be some sort of mechanic behind it some sort of ritual or or action that the players have to take to be able to do so not that it should be too complicated you know and i i've i've goofed up where players have really kind of gotten bogged down with the, well we need to move the city so we have to do this we have to do this and that's really slowed down the gameplay but it should be something where it's purposeful but not very difficult to remember yeah, like you're saying, it needs to be just enough. Like, it, mm -hmm. it can it can ne neither be too little nor too much. Um, mm -hmm. I also like, because like you said, with the deus ex machina aspect of it, like if it's just too easy to use it, then your players are just going to most likely abuse it because it's there. Like, and, you know, and that's no mm -hmm. fault on any, exactly. any one player. Like, if you give them too much power, they will use too much power. Like, yeah, that's exactly. just fundamentally how that that works. I know I would do it if you gave me an easy way out. I'm like, Danny, the street, we got to get out of here. And then Danny teleports me away. And maybe that's OK. But you have to kind of have be ready for w what may happen when you give them a moving location that they can use. Mm -hmm. I agree. Be ready. The other thing I thought was if it's moving 
and you want it to be important, you need to keep that in mind because you also don't want it to be something that they interact with once and then it moves away and then they never interact with it again. Definitely. Because then at that point, it's no different than a, a location that doesn't move that they don't interact with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for mechanical purposes, you, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Where'd it go? Ah, whatever. We don't care. But all my stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, and then that goes back to, I guess, the who portion of this whole conversation is like, who is on there and maybe even what is on there that will stay relevant and important to the players. The mm -hmm. other thing is you can also just have it come crashing back into their lives. That's fine, too. I like that. Totally. Well, and I think another thing, narratively speaking as well, is that we're talking about moving locations today. And you can also have your moving location like serve as sort of like a like a moving type of vessel such as an airship but like that doesn't mean it has to be like a vehicle that somehow the characters have you know control over i mean it could just be a floating city like you don't walk into a city and you say now i'm the mayor i get to do whatever i want with the city like this could be a visitor to this moving location so they might not necessarily just store their things in this moving location. I'm not going to go to a town, leave my stuff in a random footlocker and be like, well, I guess I hope I come back to this place again. <laughs> so, again, like if you're making your own campaign and you're doing your own type of moving location, kind of decide on what the nature of it is. Is it supposed to be like a home base that your characters are going to be able to access between different story arcs? Or is it simply like a location that might appear within different um, chapters of this overarching story that you're trying to tell within your narrative? Mm -hmm. So we've talked about moving locations. Do we have specific moving location ideas that we want to throw out to people that they could put in their homebrew worlds? Maybe ones we've used, maybe ones we've heard of, maybe ones that we're totally going to make up right now. <laughs> well, I have a variety of different moving locations that I stole from my brain, which means I invented them. But most yeah. of them I stole from the Internet. Also perfect. Uh, and I, I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple as well that I've used in uh, some previous games that uh, are particular favorites of mine. Okay, you know what? You know what we don't do enough here at the Dungeon Master's Block. We don't let the dice decide. Okay, let's roll for initiative. Who's in? I'll yeah roll. I don't have a d twenty near me, so I'll roll my initiative. <gasps> I will share this once again because I like sharing it. If you go to Dice Roller on Google, they've actually added like a full Dice Roller where you can add D20s, 12s, Oh, 10s. I've seen that. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, wait. You could do that with Siri. Hey, Siri. Roll a D20. It's nine. Nine. That's my initiative. I've got an 11. Well, I rolled a one. So, Josh, you're up. All right. Well, I've used I've used ships an awful lot. I, I do like having a, a lot of uh, naval campaigns in D&D. But I guess my two that are more unique would be one I created a um, an elven village that was built in the branches of a whole forest of tree ants. And the elves and the the ants kind of had a symbiotic relationship or a mutualistic relationship where the the whole forest would just get up and move to a new location whether out of need or necessity or just because they migrated with the seasons. And players had an awful, like, fun time with that. They were, they, it was just, uh, 
they were interacting with the the ants and the elves, and uh, all of a sudden it's like, well, we need to get over there in a hurry. And so you know, this imagery of all these trees just like lifting up and an entire forest moving into a into a new spot, they always got a kick out of that. That's amazing. Because it also made me think of the idea of building the town in a modular way so that when your players come interact with it again, the treants just got back in close enough proximity. So maybe my house is no longer on this street. If you I have will. to go find my house. Yeah. It's just That's in a cool. different. That's Gary, cool. Gary, yeah, they, where are you? Ra- Russell a branch. Yeah. They all just like connect back when they settle in. But the town itself could look completely different anytime that it moves. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, and I also wonder in a a symbiotic city because you know a lot of symbiotic city well a lot a lot of cities period will have like a mayor or maybe there's a town council does that mean that there's like an elven mayor but there's also like a treant mayor like who is leading the direction of the treants yeah we did have a uh, like a dual kind of council uh where you had the the mayor and the kind of I wouldn't call chieftain leader, but basically clan leader of the treants. Uh, we called it a grove leader. So, yeah, cool. it, it was a lot of fun because there was there was so many things that you could add to it. Like all of a sudden, like there was a parasite that was going through the the forests, and people's homes were being destroyed because literally the the treant would get sick and fall over, and so they had to go and quest to figure out how to how to preserve this this moving uh, village of theirs. Yeah, no, it's it's it was a lot of fun. My other one I'm doing in, in a current campaign. So if you're a, a player of mine, stop listening now. It's uh, again a homebrew world of my own. Uh, basically, since Saltmarsh came out, doing a lot of pirate D and D, a lot of naval D and D, and I happen to have a, a race of dwarves that are actually seafaring dwarves, and they they live in a mechanized whale that swims through the ocean. It's an entire city, and then it it kind of goes to the bottom of the ocean so that the dwarves can mine the bottom of the ocean. Very cool. So still keeping with the mining and the deep deep diving yeah. or uh, delving dwarven stereotype, but uh, you know changed up. So all of a sudden, you know, every once in a while, this whale, the city mechanized whale, like will breach near a town, and the dwarves will come ashore and they'll they'll do trading. You know, they'll trade with the city kind of on a migration pattern. So the, the, you know, some towns are like, Oh yep, The whales do any day now. Yeah. You know? That's neat. Well, and I feel like dwarves sometimes get the short end of the stick. Like they're always sort of the outsider trying to make their way on the surface and finding a way to integrate dwarves into the untraditional setting of uh, like the ocean environment and having them be essentially these underwater miners like that's a really cool way to i don't know if authentically is the correct word but organically have them be a part of a very very like aquatic based campaign yeah so they they haven't encountered them yet so i'm i'm still writing up a bit of uh their lore and history but it's uh I'm excited to to have them uh, be used pretty quick here. That's awesome. <laughs> Tip their boat over as it surfaces. <laughs> That's how to introduce them. That would be that, hilarious. That would be you know you know it rises up. Their boats on the back of this giant whale. You know, mm-hmm. stuck. Oh yeah, stuck on it, and then they have. Oh. That's so good. Excuse me, excuse me. We're we're a little marooned on the back of your your entire civilization. Matt, do you have ideas? Sure. So. Think about a city, 
And you go to that city, and the city has a lot of different vendors there, and merchants, and they're from all over the place. And the city, of course, like, you want to get, you know, new materials for trade and commerce and that type of thing. Now, you could have the city, you know, just serve as this sort of a, I guess, a resource, a a meeting place for all these different traders to come. But what happens if you facilitated this whole commerce by also having the city not just exist in one plane of existence, but transport to different planes of existence. So it is a planar traveling city. And the way that they interact with different communities is not by having people from those different planes come to their city, but by moving the city to those different planes. And sort of like maybe with the whale type of thing, maybe it is during the month of... Well, I don't know what fantasy D&D months are, but like January, they make their way to the Plane of Fire. And then on a different, you know, different month or a different week, they make their way to a new plane. And it is kind of like the consistent uh, habitual nature of the city to transport from place to place. So I think that's number one, a really just a fun way to add in a planar traveling mechanism, especially if that's like a thing that you want to explore. And planar travel at least mechanically, is a little bit difficult for lower-level players. So if you do want to have that like added mystique of players being able to explore brand-new worlds, then you could have them like reside in this town when it does transport and now they're having to deal with you know the new environment and the new people that are coming in to do commerce with this interdimensional or planar traveling city. Oh, I love that, especially if they have no idea and they could just be walking through the city. Everything's normal. And then you kind of just start describing everyone seems to be battening down the hatches, if you will. Everyone's running inside. Everyone's doing this. And Mm -hmm. your players are just, of course, very confused, only to have them be more confused now they're in the elemental plane of fire or something insane like that. Totally. And Wizards of the Coast has released a lot of supplements that is connected to the Magic the Gathering universe. And the Magic the Gathering, I guess, multiverse is all about multiple universes, different planes of existence. So it's all about being able to, you know, you have your plane walkers that have that spark. So I don't know, why not have a whole city that is able to kind of take the substitute of just a single plane walker's ability? That's awesome. And and now you're in Ravnica. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Neil, last last but definitely not least. Okay, so the one that I was thinking of was based on the idea of Snowpiercer. I wrote that down earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the but I haven't seen the movie Snowpiercer and I read a plot of it on Wikipedia and I still don't understand it. Um, basically the entire world is frozen and the rest of humanity is on a train going, a perpetually moving train that's just going around the world. Okay. That's where humanity lives now. And sure. it's, all of society is broken into that. But one of the things it it makes me think of is that you have to have a way that the whole system, if you will, is sustained. You can wave your hand, um, which we're going to call the Lucy Lawless rule, because recently I found out that whenever someone would ask her about crazy things that happened in Xena Warrior Princess, she would just shout, a wizard did it. Did she steal that from The Simpsons? I don't know if she did. or <laughs> Because if they... you remember that joke yeah. from The Simpsons, So right? I don't know if she stole it from them, they stole it from here, 
but we're just going to use a wizard did it. That's you know, it's possible to do it that way. But, yeah, that's awesome. But for things like Snowpiercer, you know, it has to function completely in itself. So that's always something to keep in the back of your mind mm-hmm. in, ca- in case your players ask. And if they do ask it, you're not ready. A wizard did it. Done. But I love the idea of having your entire campaign essentially in a moving location. If you that's want cool. It. And so in like you had mentioned, it could be it could be a boat that's that keeps moving. It could be a train. It could be a plane, um, automobile, anything, uh, anything you want. So I think that would be a lot of fun is to put the whole thing in one spot. What's what's the movie where it's the the cities that have literally been uprooted and put on tracks and and is are, are driving around the world consuming resources? Mortal, Another movie Mortal, I haven't Mortal watched. Engines, right? Yeah, yeah, by, by Peter Jackson. Oh yes. Rotten Tomatoes does not think highly of this film <laughs> per <laughs> no. the internet. <laughs> no, I mean they it don't. seems super crazy, and I feel like if you had a D and D campaign where you had these big cities that attacked each other. Like that would be like a fun homebrewed mechanism that you could try to invent so that you could have like city versus city combat. But yeah, also I feel, I mean, to get back to your Snowpiercer reference, I feel that if you really want to maybe just have like a, like a one shot or maybe a super short campaign, having the whole society on one train, like you could make it a society with a hundred thousand people. You could make it a society with 2000 people. So you could really like limit the scope and the exploration, not just because of lack of creativity, but it also adds constraints to the campaign so that you can get it accomplished within a reasonable time. Mm hmm. Well, and then, yeah, and figuring out how you transition maybe out of it if it is only a certain portion of your campaign. Yeah, that too. A lot of fun as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there anything else that we want to throw out, either ideas or thoughts? Just with your Snowpiercer uh, campaign and the mention of Mortal Engines, another another interesting idea, and I think I've seen this on the internet. So if I'm stealing it from somewhere, this isn't this isn't an idea of mine, but uh, having your your city or your society living on the shoulders of a titan or a giant and they roam around and then mm. you have cities doing battles with each other competing for resources while like on giants on giants oh that's awesome like your giant will go fight the other giant and then you'll like take over the leftovers pretty much pretty much right so i mean they wouldn't they would have to be bigger than giants i mean they would have to be well, like tight, like you'd have a, you'd have to have like a titan of some sort. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so Neil, what's up next? Okay, well, anything else we have? So if there's nothing else, then I think the thing we will go to that you are most prepared for, folks, is that we are going to give homework to our listeners. So, do you have? Do any of us have homework for our listeners to go check out? I definitely have some homework for people to check out, and hopefully. I haven't stolen some of your ideas as well. So number one, uh, in Detention of the Dragons, a podcast geared toward helping educators bring Dungeons and Dragons into the classroom, sometimes we have movie days where we do a movie review. And one movie that we reviewed was a movie called Crawl. Now, Crawl is a pretty terrible 1980s fantasy movie. It stars a couple of people you don't know. Their names are Ken Marshall and... Lysette Anthony, who I don't think they did a whole lot else after Crawl, maybe a vampire movie, and I think <laughs> one guy was in Star Trek DS9, but 
it does also star Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. And Robbie Coltrane is Hagrid in Harry Potter. So if you like bad 80s fantasy movies, Robbie Coltrane (laughs) and tight pants on your hero, you will love Crawl. But also what's cool about Crawl is there's these aliens and the aliens have a fortress that teleports to random locations every like sunrise or sunset. So part of the plot is a way for the heroes to actually reach the castle where this princess is being held captive before the castle actually teleports to a different location. So that's like a really cool thing. I would say you might try to add that into a like maybe a vampire campaign or something like that. If you're looking for a little bit more of a controlled environment, go check out Castlevania on Netflix. Oh mm-hmm. boy. I mean, you might be thinking, oh, those NES games were so hard. But <laughs> guess what? Netflix is like a video game that you win because all you have to do is watch it to win. So, and Dracula's Castle is a teleporting castle, and he has control of where this castle is teleported towards. Let's see. The only other thing I have... I- I was going to suggest uh, Castlevania as well. But the only other one that I would say is uh, check out Star Trek Voyager. Just occurred to me. I mean, because basically you have a crew stuck on a ship far from home. And the examples of things that go wrong, crew interactions, exploring, all that stuff. I mean, right up the alley, pulls a ton of ideas out of that show. So that would be my suggestion of things to go check out. Love mm-hmm. it. I would. What do you have? Uh, you should go watch Moana. Okay, I uh, haven't watched it. Okay, uh, the Kakamora, the coconut people who like live on a boat. Uh, I think that would be a hilarious way to put in a moving location. Also, you should watch Doom Patrol. I'm gonna preface heavily. No, don't watch it. It has a sentient street, and it's scary. And it doesn't make sense. So heavily, it is not a family friendly show. Okay. But you should watch it because Danny the Street is amazing. I don't care what you say. I'm secretly just jealous of the person who created a comic book or a series that has a sentient street in there. I think that's the best thing I've heard today. Oh, it's going to make it better. The name is actually a pun on a female impersonator, Danny LaRue, because in French, LaRue means the street. <laughs> oh. Okay. This, this now sounds too smart for me. Okay. Yeah, you're back out. Um, the other one is uh, the anime, se- The Seven Deadly Sins. They have a tavern that they basically take with them because, well, this is going to get crazy because I did say anime up front that there is a pig that they have. That oh, can yeah, cha- there is. In the, in the, uh, is it yeah. There? It can change its size. And so it's called the boar's hat because when it's big enough, it looks like a hat on the boar as it walks along. And so then wherever they go, that tavern is there. And then you know that they are in the area. Speaking of anime, you can always check out Howl's Moving Castle. It literally has the title moving in it. It's a castle and it is powered by a type of, I think, fire demon, which is a cool concept. Or... Uh, non-anime example, Brigadoon, which is about a city that doesn't necessarily transport in space, but transports through time. Ooh, done. I accept. But I have the all-important question. Where can people go to find all the cool stuff you guys are doing on the internet? Definitely. So first off, if you want to check us out, you can go to the Block Party Podcast 
website and you will find a link or a tab to our show there. You can also find us on iTunes and most podcatchers, basically anywhere you can download podcasts, you should be able to find our podcast, Detentions and Dragons. Now, if you would give me a moment, Neil, to plug my show, we have a very kind of important event that takes place annually on Detentions and Dragons, and that's our back-to-school blitz, because as teachers, we're all about introducing D&D to our students. So starting on August 12th, we will be in our back-to-school block of different podcast episodes. They are super approachable, super informative for everyone, but they're really geared towards teachers. And specifically this year, because we're in our third kind of year of Detentions and Dragons, we're embracing the theme upper class. And it's all about what can you do to take your students who have experienced playing D&D and getting them to start acting as a DM themselves. So this block is all about preparing your student DMs to DM their own campaigns. We're super excited about that. We've recorded a couple episodes. They're super awesome. We're planning on getting some other special guests to talk about uh, running D&D with students specifically. And I think that, so if you know a teacher, especially a teacher who's looking to integrate D&D somehow into their, their school experience, whether it's the classroom or the club, then I would definitely have them tune in uh, for that whole month. It's all going to be like podcast focused for tweet, focused at teachers. Done. I love it. Josh, do you have anything else to say? I mean, I feel like I feel. No, I'm. I'm. He's. Matt's. Matt's got the whole message there. So, you guys are on Twitter. Word on the street. Where should they go if they want to follow you on Twitter? Oh, if they want to follow us on Twitter, uh, they can t- check us out at Detentions Pod. Uh, that's our official Twitter uh, handle. Uh, they can message me at Professor Olaf. And uh, Matt, what what is your Twitter handle there? I can't remember. Hang on. So no, fine. Just just DM Josh or DM Detentions Pod. You can contact us there. Done. If they wanted to see you at your house, where would they go? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess. I no, guess I please don't do this. Then I'll feel like it's my responsibility. Um, so yes, thank you both for coming on. And of course, before you know it, we'll have to have you come back into the gym and lift some mental weights. We're looking oh, forward definitely. to it. Always looking to get swole. I just want to thank Josh and Matt for coming back on and helping talk all about moving locations. As always, if you want to let us know about the moving locations that the moving locations that you have in your game, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you like this episode or any of the others, head on over to iTunes where you can leave us a five-star review and we will read it on air. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at DMsBlock. That's at DMS underscore block. And you can like us on Facebook where you can get all of our updates. And today's Patreon shout out goes to Gregory Lucas. Thank you, Gregory, for your support. And thank you for being an awesome gold dragon. As always, the Dungeon Masters block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other great shows like Geek Wars, we're so bad at adventuring, and of course, Detentions and Dragons, and more. Again, we just want to thank you for taking some time to listen to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. 
the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. not inspiration it's not wisdom and it's bad advice if a player misses a session submit their obituary to a local paper they're dead to you now Goodbye.